Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody feeling this morning? Good. You will notice I am on a stool sitting, and I am normally not on a stool sitting. Uh, I have injured my back this week, and so if you see me wince throughout the sermon, just pause and say a little prayer for your pastor. Uh, I am messed up. I mean, I'm messed up in general, but, you know, my back is very much messed up. And, I mean, I, I told Chad this week, I was like, bro, you know, I just don't think I can do a fifth set of curls with 400 pounds on the bar. And, you know, it just... <laughs> I, I, I pushed through it, you know, okay, I did, yeah, I wish I did, but uh, seriously, my name's, uh, my name's Brian, and uh, I did hurt my back, but I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, let me just add my word of welcome to you, let me welcome those that are joining us online, we're uh, glad that you're there as well, and uh, excited about what God's got for us this morning. Um, let me encourage you, I know several of you, I've seen you out in the lobby grabbing your story Bibles. I want to encourage you, if you're first time here and you're just hearing about this, um, we're going to be doing a study going cover to cover through the Scriptures, covering all the key stories of Scripture. And we're going to go 31 weeks, uh, beginning on August 17th and 18th, all the way through the beginning of May of next year. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go cover to cover, and what you're going to see are principles from the lower story, um, which so you're going to read stories like Daniel. We're going to be able to draw uh, conclusions from those and principles from those, but we're also going to be able to do something that um, a lot of people in church have never done, and that's be able to really draw a line from Old Testament all the way through New Testament, all the way through Revelation of the gospel all throughout Scripture. Um, And you're going to see how those stories connect, and once you see how they connect, it really makes them come alive in a special new way. And uh, so we're really excited about that. Out in our lobby, there's there's a table set up where you can grab some of those story Bibles if you've not done so yet. And I'll just tell you, we've tried to make it very, very accessible for everyone. Um, So what we're doing is if you'll buy one story Bible out there to follow along with, um, then we're going to give you one for free, um, which is a pretty good deal. Now, the free one is not for you to give your spouse or somebody. The free one... What we'd like you to do is take that and invest and invite in someone that's not plugged into church or maybe doesn't know Jesus yet. And just give it to them. Say, hey, we'd love to have you come join us for this, uh, this new series that's kicking off on, in August and hand them that. And let me just go ahead and brag on you for a minute. So I was out in town this week and we we're getting, uh, getting our kids ready for school, getting some things set for them to go back to school because they start back in a week and all the parents said, amen. <laughs> uh, and I ran to this lady and uh, she goes, you're that pastor from Bible Christian. And I was like, who's asking? <laughs> and, uh, and, but no, she held up her story Bible. And she said, one of your people invited me to come to the story. And so I'm going to be there on the weekend that it kicks off. So whoever did that, I didn't pry to ask any more questions. But whoever did that, excellent job. That's what we want everyone to do. So everybody pick up a copy, take the free copy, and invest and invite in someone. And uh, let's watch God do some really cool things as we work through that series. Um, now, we've been in a series for the last week called Anxious for Nothing. Everybody say Anxious for Nothing. Very good, very good. You guys are awake this morning. Um, what we're doing is we're talking about what the Bible has to say about anxiety, how we respond to it, because as we talked about last week, it's very much a reality that everyone has to deal with. Sometimes it's circumstantial anxiety, uh, fear of potential loss, like something might go away in my life that I don't want to go away. And so we talked about anxiety that comes from that. We also talked about something that's not normally talked about in church, and that's uh, mental health uh, illnesses and mental health situations. We talked about clinical anxiety and depression, and I uh, gave you the free freedom and permission to go seek professional help if you need that for that situation. We live in a fallen world. We have fallen bodies. 
uh, exhibit A right here behind me, my back. All right, we have fallen bodies that are broken. Um, and, and many times it's no different when it comes to our minds. And so if you need that professional help, go and seek that out. But uh, what we want to do is we want to jump back into that passage in Philippians 4 today. And so if you want to turn your Bibles there, you can do that. We're going to have it on the screens as well, Philippians chapter 4. And then I'll pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in, okay? Father, grateful for the chance to look at your uh, word again today and, and uh, just see what you have for your people this morning. And um, God, we're grateful for uh, how practical your word is. We're grateful for the power that's in it. And I just pray that uh, we would just heed what you're telling us today through your servant, Paul, and uh, as he writes to us here in Philippians. And God, we just, uh, we'll give you the glory for what you do. And we just ask, as, as always, that you would help us to leave changed and not the same. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, think back to when you were a kid with me for a minute, and uh, maybe this is recent for some of you if you're in the room, but uh, think back. Do you guys remember merry-go-rounds? Not the kind with the fake horses, but like the death machine kind. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I actually heard there's one in town here. Someone came up to me after the last service and like, there's one here. There's still one here. I was like, yes, because they pretty much ban them in parks like across the country because kids like get on them and they, you know, they got the bars on them and they spin around as fast as they can and they fly off. Um, I was actually going to show you guys a couple fail videos, merry-go-round fail videos. Uh, people are taking motorcycles and putting the back wheel up to the edge of the merry-go-round and making it spin as fast as they can to see how far they can throw their friend. So pretty crazy. If you want some YouTube, uh, you know, sensations later, go just hop on there and watch that. Uh, But I was thinking about, you know, the merry-go-round and uh, how it spins around. And most of the time, uh, you always have that friend, or maybe you were that friend, who was like, I'm going to see how long I can hold on to this thing from the outside. And you grab onto the bar on the outside of the bar, on the edge of the merry-go-round, and your friends spin you as fast as they can. And eventually, that friend is like a flag on a flagpole, and his feet are waving out behind. And eventually, he ends up in the monkey bars, and that's not where he started. You know what I mean? Or off in the mulch. And, you know, sometimes I think for us, anxiety kind of feels like that. Like day to day when we're dealing with anxiety, whatever kind you're dealing with, you can feel like that guy hanging on for dear life, white knuckle gripping the merry-go-round like one slip could be disastrous. And so what I love is we're going to look at a passage here where Paul gives us some really clear practical advice on what to do when we're feeling anxious and when we're tempted to feel that way. And, you know, I don't know about you, but my mind has no shortage of things to get anxious about. And I'll I'll tell you one of the ways that I know, there's that back. Uh, I'll tell you one of the ways I know that it's anxiety, because oftentimes when I'm really worried about something, and maybe you've been there, you'll be worried about something so much, and you'll be like, God, maybe in the back of your head, you're like, God, if you just take this away, I'd be good. But the moment it goes away, what happens? You substitute something else in for that anxiety, and then you're anxious about that. And for, I don't know about you, but for me, I often, I go from one anxiety to the next anxiety to the next anxiety, and there's plenty of things in this world to keep us anxious. But one of the things that's great about your Bible that thing that's sitting in your lap or that thing we're about to read on the screen in just a minute, is that what I, what I love about it is the Bible wasn't written to perfect people in perfect situations. See, the Bible was written to imperfect people in very scary situations. As you read through scriptures, I mean, other than in the Garden of Eden, that's the only place where it was all perfect. It's not a utopia for these people. There's not, uh, you know, flying unicorns and rainbows and everything smells like roses and there's a Krispy Kreme donuts on every corner. You know what I mean? That's, that's my idea of utopia. Uh, personally, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, what it's written to are people that are dealing with very perilous times. And a lot of the people that these letters are written to, and as we read Philippians today, these are people whose lives, very lives could be taken from them at a moment's notice. Their freedoms could be taken away, and they were all living in, in situations of uncertainty. And, so, and I think many times for us when we're dealing with anxiety, it's the uncertainty of what we're facing that creates the anxiety. Well, this is exactly what the Bible speaks into right here through our brother Paul. So let's see what he has to say. You guys ready? Philippians 4 verse 6. You guys ready? Yes or no? Okay, good. I'll just make sure you're still out there. All right, ready? Do not 
be anxious about anything. Let's all read that together. You ready? Go. Do not be anxious about anything. Let's do it again. You ready? Go. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, we talked last week about how that's a really heavy command that we're given. That there are so many things that tempt us to be anxious, and it's difficult not to be. We talked about how anxiety was more than concern. Actually, the word that's used there for uh, where he says don't be anxious is actually, it's more than a general concern. Because if you're a human being and you're breathing right now, you have things in your life that you love, right? You have people, you have things in your life that you love. And it's natural to have concerns about those things. You wouldn't be human if you didn't have concerns at all. But anxiety is where it takes it from a concern to a debilitating worry or anxiety. And so actually the word there, the literal like kind of descriptive picture of it is uh, being broken apart or being pulled apart. He says, don't be pulled apart about anything. It's this crippling, debilitating anxiety that keeps you, like we said last week, from things that God wants for your life. It keeps you from experiencing things the way God wants you to experience things. And the enemy knows if he can keep us in an anxious state, it'll keep us from reaching people even around us. So Paul says, look, don't be anxious. Don't allow your circumstances to cripple you. Then he tells us how to. Keep looking at verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation. Everyone say every situation. So Paul gives us right here what scholars call a comprehensive positive. It's a fancy word for a giant contrast, okay? Paul moves from anything, so don't be anxious about anything, to everything, all right? Now, he says in the NIV that we're looking at right now, the New International Version says, in every situation, but depending on what you have in your lap there, some translations will say, uh, be not anxious about anything, right? And then it'll say, but in everything, it'll actually use that word everything. And so Paul's giving us a huge contrast here, and he's wanting us to make a change in our habit. See, what he's saying is your habit has been when something difficult faces you, right, that's the anything, your habit is to start worrying, to try to control the situation, to get anxious, to have anxiety about whatever that fear is you're facing. He says, in, in anything, that's what you've been doing. He says, but in everything, here's what I want you to do. Keep reading, you ready? In every situation, verse 6, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He says, pray about it. Talk to God about it. I, I think it's so easy for us as Christians sometimes to forget about one of the most powerful tools in our tool belt, and that's prayer. Hey, do you realize the power that you have in prayer? That, that, that your pastor has no more access to God than you have if you're a Jesus follower. That you can go to God with any kind of need, any kind of request, and when you do, it's not just saying words into the air, even though it feels that way sometimes. There's something supernatural that is released and unleashed whenever we pray. Charles Spurgeon, he's a great uh, pastor many, many years ago. Uh, uh, good to read old dead guys sometimes. Just it is, it is. Charles Spurgeon said this. He, says, he said, prayer is the slender nerve that moves the hand of omnipotence. That's what he said. That's what prayer is. It, in some way, God takes our prayers and acts on those prayers. Even though he's sovereign, even though he's in full control of the world and he keeps it spinning, we're told in the New Testament, he's the one that gives us life and breath. He waits to give you certain things until you ask. So what you have in your possession as a Christian, you have the ability to pray and talk to God and unleash the supernatural in your life. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's not just saying go through a list and act like, you know, monotonous and go down, okay, God, bless the missionaries and bless the church. and bless. He says, no, pray and ask God. But he's specific as to what he says ask him about. Now, in the passage that you read here, it, says, it starts out with prayer and petition. Let's start with prayer. 
prayer, we usually kind of lump everything into this idea of prayer that we do when we talk to God. Specifically, what he's talking about here is intercessory prayer, prayer for other people. So if you're feeling anxious, what he's saying about other people in your life that you love, your friends, your family, your, your loved ones, your neighbors, whoever that might be, your pastor, right? He says, pray about it. I have no doubt for the people here in this situation, he's probably even asking for prayer for himself in this way. He wants them to intercede on his behalf because they were worried about his situation. They were anxious because Paul was the one who started their church and he's been locked up for his faith. We know that at the time of his writing, he's in prison, okay? So he's saying, look, don't worry about me. Don't stress about me. Don't be anxious about me. Pray for me. Pray for the people that you love. But then he goes on. He says, by prayer and petition. Everyone say petition. Not something we use often today, and when we do use it, it's not normally about something good, right? When you're doing a petition, it's normally about something bad. Uh, I want you to sign this petition about outlawing this or that. When he says petition, what this means is it's an urgent request for a need that's presented to God, okay? Think of this as a personal 911 call directly to God. Again, our people in Philippi are dealing with suffering at this church. They're dealing with persecution at some level. They're afraid of things that might be taken away, and they're scared about their situation. And Paul says, look, ask God for help with people that you love, and ask God for help for things that you need at the same time. You know, and for you, you know, and for me, this is any kind of personal need that we have that, that could make us become anxious. It's that thing you carried in here with you this morning that you've been so worried sick about this week. Paul says, look, when you pray and talk to God, when you present that petition to God, there's something supernatural that's unleashed in your heart. You know, maybe, maybe you're one of those people that we talked to last week. And, we, you know, we talked about mental health uh, situations, and we talked about clinical anxiety and depression. See, we, I, I mentioned last week that people try to say at times that, well, you should just pray harder and pray your way out of that. See, that's foolishness. It really just it's foolishness. But are you praying at all about your situation? I'm all for seeking the professional help that you need, but are you praying and asking God to get to bring you out of it, whether he does or not? Are you asking God for strength and for peace in the midst of that situation? You know, for you, it might be a financial situation that you're facing right now. Ha, did your mind go straight to how do I plan and fix this and control the situation and try to bring balance to the situation? Or did your mind go directly to God in prayer and asking him to do things and like I said a moment ago, there are times when God waits to give us certain things until we ask. Think about it for a minute. What have you missed out on in your life because you've not taken time to ask God about it? What things might have you, you left out of your life that had you talked to God about them? He has the ability to unleash things into your life that you and I can't fabricate or manipulate or, or manufacture. I believe so often we as Christians, we get in this mindset. This is really kind of more Western Christianity in America. Um, we, we're, we like uh, practical lists. We like, I, I, Pastor, give me three practical ways to beat anxiety. You know what I mean? Give me, give me four steps to a better marriage. Give me five steps to not kill my teenager. You know what I mean? Like we have, you can laugh. It's okay if you have teenagers. You can laugh, right? I'm joking. Listen, we like those practical things. And sometimes we're going to talk about those practical things from this very stage. But I think we forget about the power that we have when we go to the God of the universe and we ask him for help and we ask him for strength. Someone say amen. Use that gift that we've been given use that access that we've been given there's nothing wrong with a practical list of ways to help or 
better, better serve your family or better serve your spouse or whatever. But, but we need to go to God, Paul says, in prayer. But then he says something else that I think is really interesting. And I think this is really kind of the key to the whole passage here. So it's, he, he's telling us that we need to go to God. We need to ask him with prayers and with petitions. petitions. But he, he uses two words after the word petition that I, that I love. He says, with thanksgiving. Everyone say thanksgiving. See, thankfulness is the key to this whole situation, church. Listen very closely. If you're taking notes, the first one's this. Thankfulness reorients our heart from fear to faith. See, thankfulness has the ability, when we take time to thank God for who he is and what he's done and what he's done in the past, it does something to our hearts in the now. Thankfulness reorients our hearts from fear to faith. I think the first way it does this is that thankfulness reminds us of how faithful God's been in the past. See, I don't know about you, but I quickly forget things. Are you guys like that too? I so quickly forget things. I forget situations when God has intervened in the past, whether that's been my, my health or whether that's been our finances or whether that's been relationships. I so quickly forget about what God has done in the past. Think about it in your own life. Remember that last time you had that health concern, you got that report from your doctor, and you were worried sick. You lost sleep over it right? You talked to everybody you came in contact with about it. Your stomach was in knots about it, and yet you sit under the sound of my voice today. So God either gave you the strength and the peace to endure it, or he chose to heal you and remove you of that. You guys with me? And if we're not careful, we can allow the enemy to distort our vision in the presence by not allowing us to look in the rearview mirror and say, wow, God was faithful the last time we faced this. God was faithful the last time we came in and encountered this fear. And he can rob us in the present. You know, this week I was tempted to be anxious. to be real, And if I'm real honest, I kind of gave in a little bit. Uh, my daughter, Claire, she's been battling this really, really bad ear infection situation. It's like really, really crazy and, and felt out of control there for um, a few days in the week. We took her to the doctor and got her checked out. And they're like, yeah, do, go get these drops. So we went and bought these really expensive prescription drops and tried to get them in her ear. They wouldn't go in her ear because it was so like uh, inflamed and stuff. And so she didn't start healing and it got worse. And we took her back to the doctor again the next day and they did some, cl they cleaned out some stuff and, and tried to get her ear opened up so she, it would receive the medication and seemed like it was okay for about half a day. And then the next day she started getting a fever. So I called the doctor again and they gave her an oral. And it was just this, you know, as a parent, like you had those moments where you're just like, God, what, what's going on? Like, are you gonna heal her? Like, and your mind starts going to worst case scenarios. You guys, you guys ever been there? Anybody like that? Or am I the only one? Okay. And in the middle of it, I'm not kidding you. As I, and I've got this message in my back pocket. I'm thinking, you know what? About this time last year, we were facing another medical situation. My son Carter had this really, really bad intestinal issue that he was facing that um, really could have, could have changed the rest of his life as a, as a four-year-old. It was causing a lot of health complications in the now, but could have affected him for the rest of his life and was very, very serious. And over the course of several months, there was tons of antibiotics. There was blood tests and other kinds of tests, and they scared us with all kinds of different things. <laughs> and in that moment this week, my mind went back, and God said, Brian, didn't I take care of that last time? <laughs> he gave us the strength to give us the peace in the midst of it, and he even saw fit in that situation to heal my son. Praise God for that. And God said, Brian, if I was big enough to handle that, why are you worried in the now? See, that's what thankfulness does to your heart. When you think back on the faithfulness of God in situations that he's brought you personally through or brought your family through, it has the ability to change your perspective in 
the present. You could say it like this. When you pause to remember God's faithfulness in the past, it reminds us of his power in the present. Take a minute. Be thankful. Think about how God has brought you through and what he's done in your life because the last time you were up against the ropes and you thought it was all over, and yet God intervened. See, Paul says, get your eyes off your circumstances. Take your eyes off of your ability to help the situation and your power and your wisdom and your strength in it and put your eyes back on God with thanksgiving. Someone say amen. But thankfulness does something else. Thankfulness not only reorients our hearts from fearfulness to faith, but thankfulness relinquishes control back to the Creator. When we're grateful, when we have a thankful heart, it relinquishes control back to the Creator. Because here is what is happening when we're anxious. When we're anxious and we're afraid, the temptation is for us to assume control of the situation. When we worry and we're anxious, we're like, God, give me the wheel. It's the reverse of Carrie Underwood's song, all right? It's Jesus, give me back the wheel, all right? You guys with me? I know you know that song. Don't act all smug and pious, all right? I know you've heard it. I'm not going to sing it, but I know you've heard it. That's what he did. Jesus, give it back to me. I've got a beat on the situation, Jesus. Let me have the wheel back because I got control of this. And what we're saying is, God, you're not big enough to handle the situation or the circumstances that I'm facing. Now, how ludicrous is it to think that very thought? And you might not ever say it out loud, but by the way you respond to fearful times, that's what you're telling the God of glory, the God of the universe, your Father that loves you and cares for you. God, I got this. I'll, I'll take control of this situation. I'm going to leave this up to my ability to control it, manipulate it, plan my way through it, complain my way, whatever, whatever the situation is. I got this. You're not big enough. And what I love about thankfulness, thankfulness reminds us that everything, listen close, everything you have comes from God. Amen? Everything you have comes from God. Your job that you're worried about, your family that you're worried about, your marriage that you're worried about, your money that you're worried about. Fill in the blank with whatever it is. And thankfulness says, if God's big enough to give me those things, God's big enough to handle the situation I'm in right now with those things. Someone say amen. If God's big enough to bless you with those things, do you not think he's big enough to control and handle the situation that you're facing right now with those things? He's not aloof. He's not off in left field. He's consciously focused on your situation. And thankfulness says, God, you've given me these things. I recognize that they're from you, and I recognize you're in control of those things. He's the one who gives, and he is the one who is in control of what he gives us. See, that's what thankfulness does for us. Now, I'll tell you this. The temptation to look out for yourself and to take control of the situation that you're worried about, it's nothing new. It's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden with, with the serpent and with Eve. Remember the story, right? Now, 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 the only difference is she was in an absolute perfect utopia. Remember a minute ago I said most of the stories in Scripture aren't utopia? She was in it, and she still gave in to trying to control the situation. How easy do you think it is for us to try to control the situation in the fallen world we live in right now? But this is, what it, this is how it went down. The serpent slithered up to Eve and said, hey, Eve, how you doing? She said, good. How are you? He said, good. He said, hey, you know, I know there's that tree. God said you aren't supposed to eat from it. But listen, I was, I was slithering down the path. It's not a really well-worn path because you guys don't even go near it because you, you trust God so much. But I, I thought there's some fruit on that tree, Eve. You need to get some of that fruit. I'm telling you, it's going to make your skin glow. You're never going to age, you know, like all those things we tell ourselves that makeup and all those, those regimens do, right? It's going to be amazing. 
You don't, don't, don't be thankful for the things God's given you. Look at the things that you don't have. Look at the situation in front of you. And you take control. You look out for yourself. Now listen, that was the Brian James version, okay? You're not going to read all those words, but that's the gist of what's happening in the garden. The serpent says, Eve, you can't trust God to have your best interests at heart. You need to take control of the situation. You need to look out for yourself. And it's exactly what happens when we're tempted to be anxious. The serpent slithers up, crawls up on your shoulder and says, hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. And a conversation takes place that causes you to take back control of that situation. Attempt to use your small amount of knowledge, my small amount of knowledge to fix the situation. When in fact, we ought to be thankful, as Paul says, and give that control back to God the Father. Amen? And I'll tell you this too. I think sometimes we, uh, in our attempt to control things, we bring even more anxiety on ourselves. Like you're already in a scary situation. And, and I'm not even like arguing that. Like some of you carry, maybe you've been thinking that the whole time I've been talking this morning. You probably carried something in that's heavy, and I'm not telling you it's not. Okay? But you're already up against a heavy situation, and sometimes in our attempts to fix it or numb it, we create even more anxiety for ourselves, don't we? Let, let me tell you what I mean. You, know, you come up against some kind of financial difficulty in your, in your family situation or in your budget. You had a bill that came out of nowhere, a, a medical bill showed up that, you know, you thought it was all done, and here came another $1,000, another $2,000 bill, bill that came in. And instead of praying about it, trusting God to provide for it, and maybe making some adjustments, we go slap a bunch of stuff on a credit card to fix the situation, right? Maybe you're feeling anxious about a situation that you're facing at work, and you're down, and you're discouraged, and you're fixed for it, like mine sometimes, is I need some retail therapy, right? You guys ever done that? Don't, don't look at me all smug and pious. I know you do. You men do it too. Here's what I found out, men, though. Our retail therapy is more expensive than the ladies' retail therapy because our retail therapy involves things with engines, okay? And when we buy those things, it's, it's, just, it's true, all right? Let's just admit it and we can move past it, all right? But you go to have some retail therapy to numb you or try to fix the situation or kind of take away the pain or fear of what you're experiencing. Well, then the piper comes calling the next month when you get your statement. And now not only do you have the anxiety you were facing in the beginning, but now you stack even more on top of it. Anybody ever been there? Maybe I'm the only one. It happens, and we create more anxiety for ourselves. I'll tell you another one that I think is really, really big now. Um, you know, you're facing something that's causing you to be anxious, tempting you to be anxious. And in an attempt to numb it, in an attempt to maybe in some way take control of the situation, you hop on social media, right? And I'll just say this. Some of us in the room, you might, you, all of us probably need to take a temporary break from social media, whatever your flavor is, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is. Take a break temporarily, or some of you need to take a break permanently from it. I'm just being real with you. Can we talk real for a minute? What happens, you go in there anxious and you're worked up, and you get on there, and you don't see other people that are anxious. What are you looking at when you go on Facebook? Everybody else's highlight reel. You know what I mean? Now you're having a terrible day or a terrible week, and you get on there, and you, no one ever takes a selfie and is like, I'm so anxious, and takes a picture. That doesn't happen. No, you get on there and you see the, the big extended family picture with everybody dressed in white, and they're perfectly pressed, and they have children in the picture, and their white shirts aren't stained. I don't even know how that happens. And all you're seeing is them smiling and going, hashtag blessed. You know what I mean? What they didn't tell you was the hell they had to go through to get that picture, because that's the reality. But you're feeling anxious already, and you get on there, and you look around at stuff, and the enemy will take it 
and he'll use it to make you even more anxious and more upset. And what it does is we pile more anxiety on top of more anxiety on top of more anxiety. Or you get on there and you see something someone's posted about the Ebola virus is coming back to Garden City. You know what I mean? Why? Please don't share those anymore, people. They help no one. They just create fear and anxiety. All the moms in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a small bug spotted in Garden City. It's said to be carrying the Ebola virus. Look out for this bug. And you're like, what? I was trying to get away from this. What about the politics stuff on there? Do you really think you're helping your brother or your sister in Christ by posting something about politics? Let me just get really real for a minute. Just stop. All right? You have thoughts about the world and politics. I have thoughts about the world and politics. But the world doesn't need to know your thoughts or my thoughts about politics. All right? It does nothing but create more angst and more anxiety in other people. But you're trying to numb yourself from it, and so we run to this. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm the only one that does this, right? But listen, Paul would say, look, don't run to retail. Don't run to social media, whatever your flavor is. Don't run to whatever it is you try to, to use to numb yourself from your situation, from your anxiety. He says, run and bring your request to the Father who cares. Bring your prayers, bring your petitions to him with thanksgiving and let it change you. Let it release control of the situation and relinquish it back to the creator. Someone say amen. Last one and we're done. If you're taking notes, thankfulness, it reorients our heart from fear to faith. It relinquishes control back to the creator and thankfulness resets our focus. See, this is really the biggest key of the whole thing. See, it, it, it's focus. Prayer takes our eyes off of the situation in front of us. It takes our eyes off our ability or inability to control the situation. It takes our eyes off of anything else, right? And, and when we're thankful, what is it placing our focus back? Back on our Father, back on Jesus Christ and what He can do and His character and how big He is. And that's what Paul is telling the Philippians. He says, look, this is not up to you. This is not you trying to control the situation. This is put your eyes back on Jesus Christ and allow him to take care of the rest. Amen? See, it's not up to your ability to control. It's not up to my ability to balance. Let's talk about that for a minute. Balance is a fallacy, church. Balance is a fallacy. If you go read any self-help book on anxiety, one of the, one of the first things you'll find in there is, you just need to create a life of balance. Well, think back over however many years you've been on this planet, okay? Think about it. If you could remember every day of your life, I bet you couldn't count on one hand the number of days that were perfectly in balance, could you? No, because you can't control the weather, and you can't control when the hot water heater breaks, and you can't control health circumstances that you come into. Balance is absolutely a fallacy, and sometimes I think in our pursuit of a balanced life, we feel even more anxious, Balance is not possible, but focus is possible. See, though you can't control what's going on around you, you can't control those circumstances, you can control where your eyes are. And that's what Paul's talking about here with this idea of thankfulness. We can fix our eyes back on Jesus Christ, and that'll help us weather any kind of situation of anxiety that we're facing. Amen? Let me explain it to you this way. I'm going to hobble over to this board. If I fall over, somebody come pick me up, okay? Ugh. 
Heaven help me. There we go. So remember the merry-go-round that we were talking about earlier? Remember the merry-go-round? Let me, let me give you an illustration. That's a good circle, isn't it? They were bragging on me last night. I think I'm lucky, or maybe my back being off is like helping me. Like, I don't know. Now, when I go to put the center in the middle of this thing, you're going to be like, oh, wait, it's way over there, Pastor Brian. What are you doing? Right? But this is our merry-go-round, right? You got your merry-go-round. And on, on a merry-go-round, you've got the, you got the middle of the merry-go-round here, the center, right? And you got the little the metal bars that come off each side. You know what I'm talking about? Got our metal bars here coming off each side. All four of them here. And then we're going we're gonna to draw some people over here because there's always somebody, a heckler over here laughing at you when you fall off. You know what I mean? Right? Got the, got the hecklers. Maybe they're there eating ice cream while they watch you fall off and break your leg, you know? There you go. Now, there's our merry-go-round. Now, in, in physics, there is a force that's called centripetal force. Everybody say centripetal force. I'm going to attempt to spell it for us, okay? <laughs> centripetal force. Now, centripetal force is a center-seeking force, okay? It's the force that keeps you moving in a circle around a fixed center or a fixed object. You guys with me? Okay? It's, it's the force that, that pulls back towards the center, okay? As this thing begins to spin, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pull you back towards center. And for the sake of our illustration on the merry-go-round, the center that we're dealing with is this axis right here, this hub right in the middle that everything spins around. You guys with me? Okay. Now, what's interesting about a merry-go-round is that while it's spinning, if you try to achieve balance on your own, we all know what happens there, don't we? You end up in the monkey bars, and you didn't start in the monkey bars, okay? If you try to balance on your own, you've always got the guy we talked about earlier. He's trying to hang on out here, right? And he's trying to hold on for dear life. He ends up waving like a flag in the wind around that thing. You try to hop in here and try to get balance on your own. It's not happening. It just will not happen. And the temptation when you're on something that's spinning and moving quickly it's not to look towards the center. It's to look around to make sure you can perform a safe landing, right, when you fall off. You're, you're looking around trying to figure, okay, how can I best hold on to this? It's, it's only natural to take our eyes off the center. But here's what's interesting about this centripetal force. So if, if, you'll, if you'll let the centripetal force do the work, it'll actually hold you into place. So if you actually were to straddle the bar here, right, here's our bar, and then here's the kind of the backrest, if, you'll, if you want to think about it that way. If you'll straddle this bar... And then lean your back against that bar right there. As that thing begins to spin, if you'll keep your eyes fixed on the center of that merry-go-round, you know what will happen? That centripetal force will do all the work, and it will hold you in position with no effort on your own. Isn't that fascinating? It's exactly what happens if you were to put a ball in a sling, and you sling it around like this. Why does the ball stay in? The centripetal force is holding it in. A ball doesn't have eyes to take off of center, does it? It's going to stay in position. But we as human beings, when we get in this position here, our eyes start going over here, and your, your body naturally wants to go in a straight line when things start spinning. This thing starts spinning, you naturally want to shoot off this way or shoot off that way. But if you'll fix your eyes right here on the center, you put your focus right here, it'll actually hold you in position right there. Now think about this with me for a minute, church. I think there's a, a lesson for us in there. See, I think it's the same for us spiritually. See, we're all on this merry-go-round of life, and life is just going to keep on spinning. It's going to keep on trucking along. And the temptation is for us to take our eyes off center and try to balance on our own. 
try to control the situation on our own and we take our eyes off of that sinner, which would be Jesus Christ. And what happens? Start to get dizzy, start to wobble. We start to white knuckle grip that bar and eventually what will happen? You end up in the monkey bars. How's that been working for you? How is you controlling, you balancing out the situation been working for you? I would guess it's much like my life when I try to do that. It hasn't been, hasn't been good for you. But see, what this is telling us and what Paul is telling us, when we have these thankful hearts, it fixes our eyes on the sinner, on Jesus Christ, and allows him to do the work of keeping us in balance. It allows him to do the work of controlling the situation. And let me tell you something else that's really cool from physics. The further out here you are, as this thing begins to spin on the merry-go-round, the further out you are, the more force you'll actually feel in that position. But you know what happens as you draw closer to the center? If you keep your eyes on that center and you slowly move towards it, you'll begin to feel less and less and less and less force from the spin. You know what? I think some of us today, you've been dealing with some heavy stuff. You've been dealing with situations that are, they're hard and they're heavy. But I would guess if you're like me, many times your eyes have probably not been on that center. And your goal has not been to draw near to Jesus. It's been to control and fix the situation and bring balance to it on your own. Am I right? Paul's telling us, Jesus wants us to know through our brother Paul that anxiety happens when you get outside of that centripetal force and you're hanging on for dear life. That's that's the definition, the utter definition of anxiety. But see, it's not about, the key's not about balance. The key is not about your control. The key is, where's your focus? Now, here's the shift I want us to make, and we're done. I want us to listen to Paul's advice, and I want us to start a new habit today. This is what I want us to do. Instead of trying to take control, I want you to take your concerns to the one who's in control. Instead of trying to take control of whatever it is you're afraid of today, whatever anxiety you're facing, instead of trying to fix it, Instead of trying to take control, take it to the one who's in control. That's what prayer petition with thanksgiving does. It points our eyes back on Jesus Christ. It gets them off our circumstances, gets them off of our abilities, and it sets our focus back on the only one who can fix the situation or at least the only one that can give us peace and strength in the midst of it. So this week, when you're anxious, you start to feel it welling up in you. Make this your new habit. Before, you, before making a plan, before worrying, before trying to take control, pray and petition your heavenly Father with a heart of thankfulness. And watch the supernatural take over. Let me just tell you this. Come back next week. We're going to talk about the peace of God that passes all understanding. If you want some of that, we've got to make new habits and set our eyes on Jesus Christ. But I'm, just, I'm going to tell you, if you'll focus on who Jesus is and how big he is. You know what? Your situation may not change, but your anxiety will run. And then and only then can you truly be anxious for nothing. Let's pray.